0: Book Two, Chapter Twelve of The Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah Grand. Book Two, Chapter Twelve. Colonel Cahoon had gradually fallen into the habit of riding out or walking alone with mrs guthrie brimstone continually and of course people began to make much of the intimacy and to talk of the way he neglected his poor young wife but the only part of the arrangement which was not agreeable to the latter was having to entertain major guthrie brimstone sometimes during his lady's absence and the lady herself when she stayed to tea for there was really no harm in the flirtation as evadne was acute enough to perceive mrs guthrie brimstone was one of those women who pride themselves upon having a train of admirers and are not above robbing other women of the companionship of their husbands in order to swell their own following while many men rather affect the society of these ladies because they are not a bit stiff you know and allow a certain laxity of language which is particularly piquant to the masculine mind when the complacent lady is no relation and is really all right herself you know mrs guthrie Brimston was really quite right you know she and her husband understood each other perfectly while evadne on her part was content to know that colonel colquhoun was so innocently occupied for she was beginning to think of him as a kind of big child of weak moral purpose for whose good behaviour she would be held responsible and it was a relief when mrs guthrie brimstone took him off her hands no healthy-minded human being likes to dwell on the misery which another is suffering or has suffered and it is therefore a comfort to know that upon the whole at this period of her life evadne was not at all unhappy she had her friends her pleasures and her occupations the latter being multifarious the climate of malta at that time of the year suited her to perfection and the picturesque place with its romantic history and strange traditions was in itself an unfailing source of interest and delight to her dear old mrs beale had kept her heart from hardening into bitterness just by loving her and giving her a good motherly hug now and then when evadne was inclined to rail she would say pity the wicked people my dear pity them pity does more good in the world than blame however well deserved you may soften a sinner by pitying him but never by hard words and once you melt into the mood of pity yourself you will be able to endure things which would otherwise drive you mad mrs malcolmson helped her too during that first burst of unpopularity which she brought upon herself by daring to act upon her own perception of right and wrong in defiance of the old established injustices of society when even the most kindly disposed hung back suspiciously not knowing what dangerous sort of a new creature she might eventually prove herself to be at the earliest mutter of that storm mrs malcolmson came forward boldly to support evadne and so also did mrs sillinger mr st john was another of evadne's particular friends he had injured his health by excessive devotion to his duties, and been sent to Malta in the hope that the warm, bright climate might strengthen his chest, which was his weak point, and restore him. But it was not really the right place for him, and he had continued delicate throughout the winter, and required little attentions, which Evadne was happily able to pay him. And in this way, their early acquaintance had rapidly ripened into intimacy. He was a clever man in his own profession, of exceptional piety, but narrow, which did not, however, prevent him from being congenial to one side of Evadne's nature. She had never doubted her religion. It was a thing apart from all her knowledge and opinions, something to be felt, essentially, not known as anything, but a pleasurable and elevating sensation, or considered, except in the way of referring all that is noble in thought and action, to the divine nature of its origin and influence. And she preserved her deep reverence for the priesthood intact, and found both comfort and spiritual sustenance in their ministrations. She still leaned to ritual, and Mr. St. John was a ritualist, so that they had much in common. And while she was able to pay him many attentions and show him great kindness, for the want of which, as a bachelor and an invalid in a foreign place, he must have suffered in his feeble state of health, he had it in his power to take her out of herself. She said she was always the better for a talk with him, and certainly the delicate dishes and wines and care generally which she lavished upon him had as much to do as the climate with the benefit he derived from his sojourn in malta they remained firm friends always and many years afterward when he had become one of the most distinguished bishops on the bench he was able from the knowledge and appreciation of her character which he had gained in these early days, to do her signal service and save her from much stupid misrepresentation. And last among her friends, although one of the greatest, was Mr. Austin B. Price. Evadne owed this kind, large-hearted, chivalrous gentleman much gratitude and repaid him with much affection. He was really the first to discover that there was anything remarkable about her, and it was to him she also owed a considerable further development of her originally feeble sense of humour. Mr. Price's first impression, that she was an uncommon character, had been confirmed by one of those rapid phrases of hers which contained, in a few words, the embodiment of feelings familiar to a multitude of people who have no power to express them. She delivered it the third time they met, which happened to be at another of those afternoon dances, held on board the flagship on that occasion. Colonel Colquhoun liked her to show herself, although she did not dance in the afternoon. So she was there, sitting out, and Mr Price was courteously endeavouring to entertain her. It surprises me, he said, as an American, to find so little inclination in your free and enlightened country to do away with your, politically speaking, useless and extremely expensive royal house. Well, you see, said Evadne, we are deeply attached to our royal house, and we can well afford to keep it up it was this glimpse of the heart of the proud and patriotic little aristocrat true daughter of a nation great enough to disdain small economies and not accustomed to do without any luxury to which it is attached that appealed to mr price pleasing the pride of race with which we contemplate any evidence of strength in our fellow-creatures whether it be strength of purpose or strength of passion more than it shocked his utilitarian prejudices. When it was evident that Evadne had brought a good deal that was disagreeable upon herself by her action in the matter of the Clarences, old Mrs. Beale came to her one day, in all kindliness, to tell her the private opinion of the friends who had stood by her loyally in public. I'm sure you did it with the best motive, my dear, and it was bravely done, the old lady said, patting her hand, but be advised by those who know the world and have had more experience than you have had. Don't interfere again. Interference does no good, and people will say such things if you do. They will make you pay for your disinterestedness. "'But it seems to me that the question is not, shall I have to pay? "'But am I not bound to pay?' the rejoined. "'Neglecting to do what is, to me, obviously the right thing, "'and making no endeavour but such as is sure to be applauded, "'working in the hope of a reward, in fact, "'seems to me to be a terribly old-fashioned idea.' miserable remnant of the bribery and corruption of the dark ages when the people were kept in such dense ignorance that they could be treated like children and told if they were good they should have this for a prize but if they were bad they should be punished you are quite right i am sure my dear rejoined mrs beale but all the same i don't think i should interfere again if i were you seems that i have not done the clarences any good evadne murmured one day to mr price well that was hardly to be expected he answered at which she raised her eyebrows interrogatively calumnies which attach themselves to a name in a moment take a lifetime to remove because such a large majority of people prefer to think the worst of each other the Clarences will have to live down their own little difficulty. And what you have to consider now is not how little benefit they have derived from your brave defence of them, but how many other people you may have saved from similar attacks. I fancy it will be some time before people will venture to spread scandals of the kind here in Malta again. You have taught them a lesson, you may be sure of that. So don't be disheartened and lose sight of the final result in consideration of immediate consequences the hard part of teaching is that the teacher himself seldom sees anything of the good he has done it was very evident at this time that evadne's view of life was becoming much too serious for her own good and perceiving this mr price let fall some words one day in the course of conversation which she afterward treasured in her heart to great advantage it is our duty to be happy he said every human being is entitled to a certain amount of pleasure in life but in order to be happy you must think of the world as a mischievous big child let your attitude be one of amused contempt so long as you detect no vice in the mischief once you do however if you have the gift of language Use it, lash out unmercifully, and don't desist because the creature howls at you. The louder it howls, the more you may congratulate yourself that you have touched it on the right spot, which is sure to be tender. But he did not limit his kindly attentions to the giving of good advice. In fact, he very seldom gave advice at all. What he chiefly did was to devise distractions for her, which should take her out of herself, and one of these was a children's party, which he induced her to give at Christmas. The party was to take place on Christmas Eve, and the whole of the day before, and far into the night, the Cahoon house was thronged with actors, rehearsing charades and tableaux, and officers painting and preparing decorations, and putting them up all were in the highest spirits the talk and laughter were incessant the work was being done with a will and none of them looked as if they had ever had a sorrowful thought in their lives least of all evadne of whose gaiety seemed the most spontaneous of all late at night she had come to the hall with nails for the decorators and was handing them up as they were wanted by those on the ladders The men were in their shirt-sleeves, the most becoming dress that a gentleman ever appears in. And during a pause, she happened to notice Colonel Cahoon, who had stepped back to judge the effect of some drapery he was putting up. Mr. Price was a little behind him, and two of the younger men, the three making an excellent foil to Colonel Cahoon. Evadne was struck by the contrast, the outside aspect of the man still pleased her there was no doubt that he was a fine specimen of his species a splendid animal to look at what a pity he should have had a regrettable past the kind of past too which can never be over and done with a returned convict is always a returned convict and a vicious man reformed is not repaired by the process the stigma is in his blood Evadne sighed. She was too highly tempered, well-balanced a creature to be the victim of any one passion, and least of all of that transient state of feeling miscalled love. Physical attraction, moral repulsion. That's what she was suffering from, and now involuntarily she sighed. A sigh of rage for what might have been. And just at that moment colonel colquhoun happening to look at her found her eyes fixed on him with a strange expression was there going to be a chance for him after all he did not understand evadne he had no conception of the human possibility of anything so perfect as her self-control and when she showed no feeling he took it for granted that it was because she had none But during the games next day, he obtained a glimpse of her heart, which surprised him. She had paid a forfeit, and in order to redeem it, she was requested to state her favourite names, gentlemen's and ladies. Barbara, Evelyn, Julia, Elizabeth, Pauline, Mary, Bertram, and Everard, she answered instantly. "'I do not know if I think them the most beautiful names, "'but they are the ones that I love the best "'and have always in my mind.' "'Colonel Colquhoun's countenance set upon this. "'They were the names of her brothers and sisters, "'whom she never mentioned to him by any chance "'and whom he had not imagined that she ever thought of. "'Yet it seemed that they were always in her mind. "'He had so little conception.' of the depth and tenderness of her nature or of her fidelity that had he been required to put his feelings on the subject into words before this revelation he would without a moment's hesitation have declared her to be cold and wanting in natural affection a girl with views and no heart but after this a few questions and a very little observation served to convince him that she not only cared for her friends, especially her brothers and sisters, but fretted for their companionship continually in secret, and felt the separation all the more, because her father's harsh prohibition was still in force, and none of them were allowed to write to her, her mother excepted, whose letters, however, came but rarely now, and were always unsatisfactory. The truth was that the poor lady had relapsed into slavery, and been nagged into an outward show of acquiescence in her husband's original mandate, which forbade her to correspond with her recalcitrant daughter, and in her attempts to conceal her relapse from the latter, and at the same time to keep Mr. Frayling quiet under the conviction that her submission was genuine, the style of her letters suffered considerably and their numbers tended always to diminish. But the thing that touched Colonel Calhoun was the care which Evadne had taken to conceal her trouble from him, the fact that she had not allowed a single complaint to escape her, or made a sign that might have worried him by implying a reproach. He had his moments of good feeling, however, and his kindly impulses too, being, as already asserted, anything but a monster and under the influence of one of them he sat down and wrote a sharp remonstrance to mr frayling which however only drew from that gentleman an expression of his sincere admiration for his son-in-law's generous disposition and of his regret that a daughter of his should behave so badly to one who could show himself so nobly forgiving with a reiteration of his determination, however, not to countenance her until she should come to her senses, so that no actual good was done, although doubtless Colonel Cahoon himself was the better for acting on the impulse. It was about this time that he became aware of the fact that Evadne had gradually formed a party of her own and was making his house centre of attraction to all the best people in the place he knew that such support was an evidence of her strength and would only confirm her in her views especially when even those who had opposed her most bitterly at first were caught intriguing to get into the Cahoon house clique. but naturally he was gratified by a position which reflected credit upon himself his respect for evadne increased and consequently they became, if possible, better friends than ever. End of chapter 12